Welcome to the CRNA Club podcast, where we talk all things CRNA. As a practicing CRNA, I'm sharing everything I wish I knew when I was applying to CRNA school. I'm Sachi, your host and number one fan. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the CRNA Club podcast. Today's episode is inspired by one of my most frequently asked questions as a CRNA. Has your job satisfaction really increased all that much? Are you really happier as a CRNA in comparison to an ICU nurse? The answer is yes, and today I am going to go over eight reasons why my job satisfaction has really skyrocketed. Now, this episode is for you if you are sitting on the fence thinking to yourself, you know what, I am making a ton of money as an ICU nurse right now. I am a travel nurse. I am making bank. Should I really go back to school and bust my butt for three years, incur debt, and do something that is going to be so stressful for me and my family? Well, I hope to answer some of these questions for you in today's episode, and I hope that this gives you a little clarity. So the first reason is, number one, my job satisfaction has really increased as a CRNA because I have more autonomy. Now, CRNAs can practice independently a thousand percent. We have the ability to practice without MD supervision. Now, this really depends on where you work, what type of facility you work at, and what state you work at. So the states that do not require MD supervision, those are called opt-out states. They are opting out of medical supervision. So this really depends on where you live and also what facility you practice as well, because your hospital could have a different type of practice there, even though the state that you live in is an opt-out state. So yes, you can you can have 100% an autonomous practice as a CRNA. Now, a lot of people also practice under what is called an ACT model, an anesthesia care team model. This means you have an MD supervisor supervising, you know, a number of rooms with CRNAs. And there are two ways that this works. The first is medical direction and the second is medical supervision. So under medical direction, this is a little more hands-on. The MDs are supposed to show up for critical parts of the anesthetic, such as induction, which is going to sleep, and emergence, which is waking up. You know, you're inducing anesthesia and you're emerging from anesthesia. So this is when they're supposed to be more hands-on. You know, there's a limit to the number of rooms that they can supervise and they have to meet certain billing requirements. So that's medical direction. With medical supervision, this is a little looser. They can supervise more rooms and there's no real hands-on requirement. They are available as needed. So this is the type of practice that I work in. We are under medical supervision So I can go an entire day without seeing my supervising anesthesiologist. Yes, if I need help and there's no CRNA to help me and I need an extra set of hands or there's an emergency, I'm going to call them and they're going to show up and they help me. So this doesn't mean that nobody's available for you. They're there to help you when you need it. So those are the two ways that CRNAs can practice very autonomously with medical direction and medical supervision. Even though you are under this direction supervision, you still have a super high level of independence. You know, nobody is looking over your shoulder, telling you what drug to give. Nobody is micromanaging your anesthetic. I think this is also a little bit facility dependent and MD 
dependent as well. You might have some anesthesiologists that are a little more hands-on. Some of them are a little more hands-off. But ultimately, nobody is standing over your shoulder telling you, hey, I think you need to give ephedrine over phenylephrine. Hey, I want you to use Dilaudid over morphine. That is your decision. You are the one making those calls. When something happens in the OR, you are the one who has to respond and react within seconds and make that decision. If you do not feel comfortable with your LMA, which is a laryngeal mask airway, it's not a secure airway, it's not an ET tube, it's an LMA. Uh, We tend to use these on patients that meet certain criteria. You know, they don't have a super high BMI, they don't have uh, uncontrolled acid reflux, and these procedures are not gonna need insufflation. There's certain criteria that we go through when we think about using an LMA. I digress, but my example was, if you're using an LMA and you're not happy with it, and you're like, ah, oh, this is not this is not great. You, it's your decision if you're going to swap it out for another LMA, maybe a bigger size, or if you're going to say, hey, I'm not going to mess around. Let's put in an ET tube. That is your autonomous decision to make. Okay, so nobody's micromanaging you. You are the decision maker, which I love. Most people love this. Most people become CRNAs because they like that. So I'm not saying that you are on your own and left out to dry. If something bad happens, usually you have people to support you. You have other CRNA colleagues. You know, Usually there's somebody who's doing breaks and lunches that you can call out and ask for help. You have your anesthesiologist if you're in an ACT model. But that is one thing to consider when you're looking for that first job. Say, hey, you know, how autonomous are you? How supported do you feel when you need help? Are there other people around? You know, as a new grad, you do want to feel supported and like you are learning that first year the first six months to a year of becoming a CRNA, there are a lot of things that happen that you may not exactly feel a thousand percent confident in and you want a second set of eyes or you want to run something by somebody else. And working in an environment where you have that support is crucial to making that transition from a new grad to an experienced CRNA. But overall, my top reason why my job satisfaction has really increased as a CRNA is because I have more autonomy. The number two reason my job satisfaction has increased is my critical thinking skills have really improved a lot. You know, working in the ICU, you have these super sick patients. They've got multi-organ failure. They're septic. They are fresh, post-operative, you know, open heart patients. They're on heart-lung machines. They are on CRRT, continuous dialysis. They're very sick. But that is sort of one layer of what's going on. When you add anesthesia to the mix, that's the second layer, right? So now it's it's just a little more in depth and you're adding that second layer of risk and ability, you know, for complications to happen. And then on top of that, add a third layer, you have this patient who is super sick, undergoing anesthesia. And then on top of that, they're having surgery, right? So that is that third layer. And that just makes things really complicated. And if you have super sick people undergoing anesthesia, no doubt you have to have really, really good critical thinking skills. Something could could be going wrong and it could be something going on with the patient unrelated to the anesthesia or the surgery. Maybe they just are, they're having a stroke because they're super sick or something could be happening with the anesthetic. Oh, your end tidal CO2 monitor got disconnected. Okay. You have to figure that out. That's critical thinking skills. You lost your end tidal right? Or third, you're noticing you're hearing a lot of suction coming from the field. What's going on? You're noticing that the surgeon is looking a little stressed and they're losing blood and they 
they keep calling for more sutures and more sutures, and they keep looking back at the suction machine, seeing how much blood they've lost. So as a CRNA, you are really having to look at each of these layers of what's happening in the operating room and really dig into those critical thinking skills that you've developed as an ICU nurse and also that you have developed in your three years of anesthesia school and in your clinicals and everything that has happened to you and your experiences, you are building upon that, drawing from that, and you are using those past experiences to make calculated decisions. That is why it's so important when you are applying to anesthesia school, people are really looking at, did you come from a high acuity ICU where you're taking care of the sickest of the sick patients? What is that experience like? And people are also looking at how well can you show and portray your ability to critically think? Okay, so that is number two, critical thinking skills. Number three, the reason my job satisfaction has really increased as a CRNA is I get to focus on one patient instead of multiple patients at a time. So in the ICU, you know, you're taking care of a lot of the times two patients. I don't know. So I've even heard of some of you guys in the ICU taking care of three patients at a time with all the you know, staffing shortages going on, which is just crazy. Um, and I know you do get that one, those one-to-one patients who are sicker and stuff, but a lot of the time you're taking care of two people at once and you're multitasking and you're going back and forth. And, you know, if you're working on the floor, you're taking care of five, six patients at once. You got your roller skates on, right? As a CRNA, you're really focusing on one patient at a time. And I love that. You get to know them. Yeah, maybe they're asleep, but you're getting to know them in other ways. You, trust me, by the end of your anesthetic with them, you're going to know, hey, this this patient, weirdly enough, they respond to phenylephrine better than they do ephedrine. And the fentanyl, it doesn't really seem to touch their respiratory rate. And, oh, you know, they're really sensitive to putting the head up, their blood pressure really drops with that. So you really get to know them. You get to focus on that one patient at a time. And I love that. There's not a lot of multitasking going around. You really get to zone in and focus. Number four, my job satisfaction has really increased because I feel really respected in the OR as a leader. And when you are working in the operating room, what is the most important thing, you know, with your ABCs. It's it's A, it's airway. So when you put the patient to sleep, the room is looking to you to make sure that you have everything that you need. They want to support you. They want to make sure that you safely anesthetize that patient and put them to sleep. When you get ready to move that patient, you call the surgical techs in, the surgeons there because they're super nice and they're going to help you move the patient. They look to you and they say, on your count, when you're ready. You know why? Because you have the airway that is super important. If something happens, you know, you're doing a lap appy or a lap coli and the surgeon has got the trocars in and that's what they use to put their video scopes in and they're ready to insufflate, which means they're going to expand the abdomen with carbon dioxide so they can look around with their cameras. They say, okay, gas on. That means they're going to insufflate the abdomen with CO2. You look up at your monitor because you know that funny business can happen when you insufflate. You can have vagal stimulation. People's heart rates can drop. So you're looking up at your monitor. Sure enough, that's what happens. Your patient was sitting pretty, 76 heart rate. Now they're down to 32. And you know what? You say, hey, hold on. Let's desufflate for a second. The surgeon's not going to say, oh, excuse me. No, I must operate. They're going to say, okay, sure. No problem. What's going on? 
sound, oh, my heart rate's 32. Let me just give some glyco. Just give me a second. Okay, so you are the leader in the OR. There is that respect there, that mutual respect. You tell them your patient's unstable. I need blood. I need a second IV. Let's untuck the arm. They're going to listen. Okay. All right. Number five, I have more skills in my tool belt. So as an ICU nurse, kind of like the extra skills that you have are like you do IVs, of course, you uh, can put in like NG tubes. What else can you do? You can do PA pressures and stuff like that, but you're really not able to do regional anesthesia. You're not able to do blocks. You're not able to do epidurals spinals. I love that stuff. Now, granted, where I work now, most of the anesthesiologists do the regional anesthesia because we keep the rooms running pretty quickly. So as I'm in one case doing, you know, a shoulder, they're already blocking the next patient in pre-op. So by the time that I go get to see the patient in pre-op, they're already super numb and we're just ready to roll back. However, they're super open to us, the CRNAs, doing the regional. They like that. Um, they're trying to get us more involved with doing the tap blocks and such, which is great because I loved doing blocks in school. But you have more skills in your tool belt and it gives you more confidence and you can understand the bigger picture a little bit better. You are starting to think about, hey, does this patient need an A-line? Does this patient need a central line? Or are my two 18-gauge IVs going to be okay? Should I put this A-line in before the patient goes to sleep? Or do you think I can safely induce anesthesia and then maybe I can just get an A-line afterwards for blood draws and further hemodynamic monitoring? You have the ability to do those skills and it's such a great thing to have in your tool belt. Now, you know, we're even using ultrasound to check gastric contents in people before surgery to see if we should really be delaying this sort of semi-urgent, we call them red cases when they're urgent like emergencies, like a red case means you have to go now. Think crany, think ruptured aneurysm, um, bleeding, any bleeding, those are red cases. But there are some cases that are not so red. They're sort of soft emergencies that you really could wait on, but you'd really prefer not to. It'd be better for the patient to take them back to surgery. So a lot of the times the thing that delays that case is their NPO status. Oh, they had, you know, a salad four hours ago. Eh, eh. So what if we could take a look with our ultrasound, check out the gastric contents and use that to help us make a better decision. So that is what we're starting to see now and do. So that's one thing that you could even think about doing your DNP project on. You know, schools are asking, hey, what are you interested in studying? Maybe coming up with some sort of guideline or education module for CRNAs to guide them with using the ultrasound to assess gastric contents. That would be a cool one. But anyway, the point is that I have more skills in my tool belt now that I think I feel so empowered to be able to use. So that is number five. All right, number six, yes, better compensation. This is what people want to know and what they want to talk about, but they don't really want to ask. <laughs> so here at the CRNA Club podcast, uh, we lay it all out there, right? This is this is a big decision. You want to go back to CRNA school. You need to know how much CRNAs are going to make. So on average, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, I believe for 2021, the average salary of a CRNA in the United States was about 208000 So that's that's pretty good. And in a lot of places, it's higher than that. Where I work in Hawaii, average is about 200000 Now, if you work someplace that is a little more, now I always have a hard time saying this word, rural, 
rural location, rural, rural. If you work someplace that is not so populated and you do not have a lot of anesthesia providers, you can make a lot more money, 250,000. You can make 150 to 250 per hour as a 1099 locums CRNA. So just take that with a great assault though. I do want to put a disclaimer there. When you work 1099, yes, you are making more hourly and your salary is going to be a lot higher, but you also do not get the things that the W-2 affords you. What that means is you are having to pay out of pocket your health insurance. You are not getting any education money to keep up your CEs. You do not have disability, long-term disability or short-term disability that can oftentimes be covered by your employer. And of course, retirement. So where I work, there's a pension. Uh, As a 1099, you're not getting that pension. You have to be, of course, very cognizant about saving money for your retirement. So the numbers really have to work out for that. Don't be super Star Trek by the 1099 numbers. Just make sure you keep in mind that there are other costs associated with that. However, a lot of people love the 1099 life and they will just talk your ear off about it. So I know that it is great for a lot of people. So number seven, which also ties into better compensation, number six, but number seven is I have the freedom and flexibility to work less and a variety of shifts. So for example, where I work, you can work eight, 10, 12, 14, 16, or 24 hour shifts. I take night call, which is just 11 PM to 7 AM. I take night call about once or twice a month. And then I take a 24 hour weekend call, seven to seven, about once a month. And that is from home. So you just, when you get called, you have to be at the hospital within 30 minutes. There are other places where you can do 24-hour in-house call, and that counts towards your um, shift hours, whether or not you're working. You can have 24 hours on, 24 hours off, and repeat that. Or you can have Monday through Friday, eight-hour shifts, and have weekends off, no holidays, no call, no nights. So there's really something for everybody. And I have the freedom to work less now because... I am pretty frugal. I don't, we don't, I don't spend a lot. And I have prioritized wanting to stay home a little bit more with my kids because they're young. So we have chosen to to not make as much. So I now work less, but I make just as much as I did as an ICU nurse, which was always my goal going back to school to become a CRNA. I really wanted to work part-time, but still make the same amount. So that was a big factor for me as well. Number eight is better benefits. That has really improved uh, my satisfaction as a CRNA. So now you can even get loan forgiveness. And that wasn't really as much of a thing when I graduated from CRNA school. There wasn't such a surplus of demand. But now I think you are able to find employers who are willing to assist with paying off those student loans. And I think that is huge, especially now that programs are three years and you are incurring more debt. So it's out there. And that is definitely something that you can take advantage of. As a CRNA, I also get a good amount of paid education time, which means that I can take my family and we can go to a conference in Colorado and it's a ski conference and I'm getting paid to learn and also spending time with my family. So I I think that's awesome. The benefits are great in the sense of you get paid vacation time, that paid education, paid sick time, 
And of course, depending, this all of course depends on where you work, but in general, because CRNAs are in demand, you are going to have these extra benefits that are going to be sweetening the deal. So overall, I hope that these eight reasons really gave you some clarity on why my job satisfaction has increased so much and why I truly believe that if I had to do the whole thing over again, I would a thousand percent go back to school and become a CRNA. And I hope that if you are on the fence, this has tipped you over the edge. You know, we are here to support you. And of course, being a CRNA is not for everybody. I get that. Not everybody wants to go back to school or they're really happy with where they are right now as an ICU nurse. And if you've listened to these eight things and you're like, hey, I could really do without that, then I'm glad that this has helped you come to that decision. But if you are, yes, this is me, I want those things, then I think that really means you should listen to that voice within you and start to get your ducks in a row and think about how you can become a CRNA, which is what we are here to help you do. So anyway, I will talk to you next time. Bye.